wrote a little notebook. Welcome to a very special late night edition of the late night edition of Content Content. My name, of course, is Derek Calto. Across the computer screen from me this evening is Alexander Richards. Alex, welcome to the program. Thank you for coming on, good sir. Oh, thank you very much for having me. I love your intro. It's... <laughs> thank you, thank yeah, you. Super cool. Yeah, I uh, put that together actually before the show, so it's good. I had some, uh, I had a little bit of time. Um, <laughs> and yeah. uh, of course, my co-host Mike is a uh, platinum record uh, producer, six-time wow. platinum. He is. Uh, no oh, lie. Cool. Yeah, um, yeah. That's so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> we have uh, the music is one of the best things about the show. I have to say. My, it's just like Mike is also on the low TI, you know. Just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so thank you for coming on the show, man. Of course, to to the listener, to the viewer, Alex is down under. I'm sure that's a phrase you're sick of hearing. Um, but you are an Australian bird, dare I say? Yeah, yeah. I am here. I am where I am right now, and that is Australia. But um, no, we met. In New York, I was local for a while, and then I returned to the homeland. And That's yeah, right. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, I do keep in contact with a lot of people from the U.S. Like, I, I would say it's almost fifty-fifty. Like people who I talk to, fifty percent um, Americans, fifty because I, you know, I work in the U.S. I've got friends there. Um, and a lot of my friends are there. You're there, Derek. You know, That's right. And <laughs> So it's it is this weird. I mean, I'm sure we'll get into that, but it is this weird sort of virtual flesh separation at the moment. Where now, did, do you did you go back to Australia and now you have a bunch of bits where you're talking shit about Americans and you're like these <laughs> assholes? They like it too much, so I I didn't. That's <laughs> too I, easy. Yeah, well, it's it's like I I don't know. There's still something anti-authoritarian in me, where in my mind the audience is an authority. So, anytime they like something, it feels it's not just as easy. It's just like I don't want to feel like a bully. Like I'll talk shit about Americans in America, but if I'm you know right right yeah, but if I'm in Australia and they're like, oh yeah, they're all a bunch of they would be like that. I'm just a little bit like. All right. Um, Actually, they're not all like that. <laughs> Actually, uh, some of them are my friends. <laughs> well, yeah. man, it's always it's always a uh, great to talk to you, man, and I'm excited. I uh, you teased something to me when I was on one of your programs, and I'm sure we'll get into it this evening. But our first question that we do like to start with here on the late night program, Alex, is um, what is your personal religious or spiritual background? Um, then kind of like yeah. where are you where are you at with things now? Yeah, I guess so. Um, I think like the US, not to get too heady with it, but like the US, there's a sort of sectarian history to Australia. So there's that <laughs> yeah. Catholic and Protestant 
feud. And my dad is like Irish Catholic and my mom is from like North Shore Sydney Protestant. And so like there's already like and I mean that's it's kind of like vague and historical but I do, I do think that has effects on you because there's a s- sort of scar in Australia about that but that allowed me I think to sort of I, although I went to a Christian school because of that distance I never really was that like I didn't really have much faith in Christianity um I churches always creeped me out for some reason um I, I stopped believing in like Jesus in any real way the same way I sort of stopped believing in Santa I remember like when I was like nine with Santa, it was kind of like, well, there must be lots of Santas in a community, right? And there must be some sort of distribution of presents. Uh, <laughs> a sort of communist it, Santa? Yeah, I, was, I, I, I thought of a socialist Santa. And then I'm like, or there's no Santa. <laughs> sort of Occam's razor it, right? <laughs> yeah, true, true, right? It yeah. Too, from a young age. And I think that kind of happened concurrently with uh, Christ. No, um, yeah, with. Um, but then you know, I did religious studies. I got really into like uh, Abrahamic religions, just how they interconnected, and like, like you know, Islam and Judaism, and the sort of differences there. And then in school, we actually did um, some like a, a excursion to a monastery, a sort of Mahayanan. Vietnamese like monastery in Sydney and we did meditation there and that kind of influenced me to like pursue that a little bit more I also did like martial arts and we did meditation through martial arts and like qigong and that sort of thing that kind of interested me like yeah let me go to Southeast Asia when I was 18 and spent about six or seven months uh looking like trying to very awkwardly go to monasteries and just meditate as much as I could and learn from different sort of traditions, mainly sort of Vipassana and that sort of thing. But the thing is, I think I had spiritual inclinations going in, but I think it made me less spiritual coming out because I realized there was like, you're sitting there and at some point, you know, you haven't talked to anyone in a few weeks and you're in so much physical pain and you're like you're all these emotions are going crazy that all of those big questions kind of don't like aren't as important anymore there's some sort of calmness that overruns almost out of like maybe material desperation your body just um um like yeah i don't know it's just something like that i remember going from like in in lao i think that was the most significant one the Watpa Nakunoi in, in Laos it was a it's actually a rehabilitation monastery so I was there with a bunch of people who just came out of prison or people who had uh like some of their fam like lost some of their family or something significant in their life where they went and they decided to sort of devote more to Buddhism and a monastic life um and yeah I remember just yeah sitting there is like you go from crying to happiness and like and you don't like i've always struggled I, like i've always associated my memory with like maybe emotions so more difficult when i've had more difficult emotions i've been less able to remember it and maybe you know mm. there's some pathology to that but i don't know yeah but it, after sitting there for a while you just remember going back through every awkward event every time when i said something mean i could just it was so clear and you just can relive it and it comes and it's just like it's almost as if you'd 
I'd been holding off dealing with all this stuff, but it doesn't go away. You know, you can't, you, you can hold off and you can, and they'll wait. It'll wait. Pain will wait. You know, when you're ready, I'll be here is the sort of thing. And it comes back and you're not able to really cope, but there isn't, but like, why would you be, you know, it's just, it, you, like you, there was never going to be a point at which you could deal with it better. And it all just comes and, so all the deep questions are sort of bombarded with the actual um, emotional and physical ties to like the world, right? So it's like I'm in also a lot of pain in my hips. It just sucks to sit. Right, and right. <laughs> yeah, it's just so uncomfortable. It's excruciatingly. <laughs> also, you sleep five hours a night, really, and you eat once. And it's just like, yeah. so you're not tired. You're just, you're aware of tiredness. And you're not hungry. You're just aware that like... You know, you you could do with food, and all of these coming, and yeah, just sort of, you and then the emotions just so, so, somewhat detach from the like experiences you're having, and so it's like suddenly you're joyous, and then you're crying, and then you're angry, and it seems to have nothing to do with the content in your mind for a while, mm. and then and then I was overcome with a sense of joy for a long time, and just like it was like very felt very good and then like i said just sort of washed away to a calmness and i wasn't really concerned with some of the questions that like you know i would have gone in for it was like i was writing notes and that sort of thing but i no longer seemed as interested in the notes and i was just sort of yeah a lot calmer i don't know exactly what it was but there's some sort of calmness there and i think that influenced my uh spirituality coming back from it in the sense that i mean at least through like western philosophy and that sort of thing there's always this notion of returning to your garden and like especially like the you know even in the end of candide and like voltaire writes that um you know candide goes through all of these like life journeys and then at the end he's just like i'm i'm just gonna fucking fix my garden i no longer care about you know <laughs> beauty or riches or understanding the world or whether Leibniz philosophy is correct or if this is the best possible world. All I need to do is just make sure some turnips like can grow. I think it's a, I don't know. I felt like I sort of, I think I became a lot more obsessed with the particular rather than the larger than life and a lot more interested in, you know, what things am I missing and what pains am I avoiding? So yeah, I guess a vagueness <laughs> where I'm at is a sort of vagueness with it. A struggle with like larger questions um, because I, I feel like I often miss out on smaller questions by obsessing on larger questions, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. So uh, long winded answer, but <laughs> no, that's, that's the exact stuff I wanted uh, to dig into with man. Let me jump back just a little bit. So when you were in high school, you, as part of school, went to a, a like, uh, what do you say, like a Mahayana, um, like Buddhist, what would you call it, like a monastery? Yeah, it was a monastery. Um, I forget the uh, Vietnamese. But this was part of your, like, curriculum in high school. Like, everybody did this. Uh, no, so anyone who did, um, uh, anyone who did religious studies, which was about six of us, did okay. it which was um, like a class right. that you could take yeah okay it was, it was yeah so it's like you can in uh your senior and junior year like 11 and 12 
You get so to how, pick your subjects. How much time did you spend there? It was just two days. Okay. Um, yeah, one night, two days, sort so, of thing. We went to a yeah, we went to a monastery. We went to a you know, a mosque, a church. Went to one oh, of the okay. uh, Sikh temples. We did all that and sort of like yeah, I don't know. So yeah, I it was it's a pretty interesting two days though. It was pretty full on, but um, yeah, I. I I don't know. It was interesting that that was part of school, right? Like you wouldn't expect that, especially a Christian school would encourage that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, seriously, man. They take you to church and nowhere else. So then yeah. based on your interest in that, you said, I'm going to uh, on my own explore this, <clears throat> where you then traveled to a bunch of different kind of monasteries on your own? Yeah, yeah. So I saved up a bit of money and then went over to... Yeah, Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, Thailand, and this is and a dumb, this is a dumb question, but like, how did you find all of those places? How did you know where to go? Well, I, I found this PDF online that was like maybe <laughs> four years old, and okay. in that PDF, someone had listed places where there was someone who speaks or someone who's rumored to speak English, and sort of vague ways to get to these places but a lot of it is really awkward like it's incredibly awkward it's not and it's not just awkward for you it's awkward for everyone because essentially there's a point at which you just have to turn up i mean there's like vipassana like retreats which i didn't i haven't done any ever i mean there's like go anchor and stuff like that where they're super strict and like you know you have to wear all white and shave your head and that sort of thing which is like i guess part of monastic life but um but I don't, I don't know i didn't I didn't really do that. I don't know. I guess 18-year-old edgy angst is like, it's got to be authentic, blah, blah, blah. Sure, you <laughs> so want I, the real experience, yeah. Right. Yeah, maybe that's laden with uh, um, Orientalism or some sort of racism, but oh well. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I'll, I'll forgive you for it, man. <laughs> so like, yeah, had, you, but, had, you, had you known anybody who had done anything like that? This is a very bold thing for like an 18-year-old person to do, right? Yeah, I no, I hadn't I didn't know anyone. I, I guess okay, I'll give you one of the stories is so awkward and just strange. And also I was like an anxious, you know, I was it's kind of just throwing yourself into like I guess I was just throwing myself into the deep end where there wasn't like either you could do it or you could just like so one of the stories is going to <laughs> Wapa Nakunoi, the, the Laotian one, like um uh I so no one knew what I was talking about with this monastery. And I was just like, I don't even know that city. So I don't know what you're talking about, right? <laughs> so I was just asking people. And then I went to a guided meditation in Vientiane. And at the end of it, I asked them. And they're like, yeah, that's that exists. And they're like, oh, cool. So I wanted to do meditation there. It's like, yeah, you could go for a couple of weeks. I'm like, okay, so how do I go? And they're like, just go. And I'm like, what? <laughs> And then he's like, anyway, I gotta go. Like just this sort of monk, very calm but dismissive of like, you know, I just I don't have time. Guidance for this. here, man. <laughs> and so I asked the person back at my hostel, and he's like, Yeah, I grew up near there. And I'm like, Okay, well, how do I go? And he's like, Well, okay, you take a you can take a bus to Vang Vieng, but on the way they'll drop you there. And I'm like, All right, well, can you organize that? And then he wrote it down on a piece of paper for me. And nice. so that was great. And then I booked the bus to Vang Vieng. So it was meant to be 45 minutes away from Vientiane, um, this Nakunoi place. I know I'm saying so many <laughs> names, but 
it took two hours because the bus driver drove past it and then had to drive back. Oh, yeah. And then he dropped me out on the road, like on the main highway, and pointed like that way. I'm like, and so I start walking. Like, how, how far? That's a shit I. I don't even know exactly where I'm going. Like, I don't know what I'm looking for. Like, really? I mean, I guess a bunch of monks. So I go into this. <laughs> Get some guys in robes or whatever, as they shave heads. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I do see that. And I go into this, like, temple. I'm like, is this. And, the guy, and this guy comes up to me. He's like, you need to not be here. And I'm like, what? And he's like, do you, and I'm like, do you know where this place is? And he's like, it's not here. You need to go. I'm like, okay. So that's no help. So that was about an hour in. I'm keeping walk, I'm walking and wandering through this town. And um, I just start showing like people there, like some of the locals, like in this small town, like the piece of paper. And they don't speak English, but like people are being really helpful. They like draw maps on the dirt. So they know what I'm talking about at least. Right. But it also is kind of getting late. Like it's getting dark. Right. I'm like kind of wandering around. It's been about like two hours at this point. And then eventually you go, I go past the town and there's just sort of this jungle and it's like a brick, like a sort of like a, a small road going down to it. And then you go into the jungle and then it opens up from the jungle. So I eventually got there, but like, I was legitimately like, I don't know what is going to happen if I don't find this place. Like, I guess I just go back to someone who gave me directions and just be like, I am desperate and I didn't plan. <laughs> People are super lovely, but um, yes. And then, you know, dogs come up to you barking and then someone came in uh, and just sat there because they didn't speak English. Turns out there was like one person who spoke English at this place. But the rumors were true, you know? <laughs> they technically weren't wrong. Yeah, yeah. So he's like, are you going to stay here? And I'm like, oh, um, yeah, probably like uh, three to four weeks. And he's like, three to four months. And I'm like, no, no I don't think the visa allows for that. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, I mean, there was a lot of that very awkward. Hey, I'm here. And um, right. Yeah, I don't know. They were kind of like, I guess we have a room for you, but like. This is not, I mean, other people had done it, right? They showed me photos of like other people who come through, but I don't know if there was necessarily a, a um, path for that. You know, I don't, I don't think it's advertised or anything. <laughs> right. Check it out. If, if you're there and you want to go. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> like, <"Pah, not> <laughs> so you got to get there, I guess, rent a car. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, you kind of already answered this, but like, what was it obviously uh, some a sort of like sense of seeking but like what was it that motivated you to at that time in your life like go and do those things did it feel like a sort of logical next step based on your interest in high school were you like i'm not i am i'm disillusioned with the western world and there must be something more to this um yeah, I, I don't necessarily think it was like an east-west divide. I just think it was the most consistent meditation I could I could, uh, I could could do. I also, for me personally, in order to commit to things I do, I do like to do those big actions. But yeah, I wanted to do a lot of meditation to sort of figure things out internally. And I wanted some sort of guidance to better practice for that from people who 
were like very experienced and what i like the places i went to were like like great they were great teachers i disillusionment with the western world i'm in i don't know i don't know i like i i guess i there's a sort of i mean there's a like i would say that some of the stuff that we consider eastern is like western like i think there's a sort of western esotericism like even like stuff like i was really into like alan watts and that at the time um i'd say that's still like it's obviously dairy influence from the east but a, a lot of it is very very grounded in this sort of uh western viewpoint so i i don't know i i i i, I don't necessarily see the the distinct like the the grand distinction between the two because especially you meet a lot of buddhists over there who are just like you know pray buddha good luck and that's just that's it you know that's that's life right Right. there's not a whole depth um to well i don't even know i don't even know if it is depth you know like there's just not it's not that much more complicated than that yeah so yeah and a lot of people like refer to buddha as god and they talk about and they get very conservative. They ground, like especially in Burma, it's like a very, yeah, um, these very, very conservative Buddhists who are all about women being modest and, you know, people being pure in, in a very scary way. But I think it was just I wanted to get good at meditation and do a lot of it. Um, and this seemed like the best way to do that. And also, I was pretty familiar with that. Like, I'd been to Thailand before with my parents and that um, a few times. So I was more familiar with that area than maybe somewhere like China or Japan, I guess. Where, mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, it seems so absurd to me now as well, right? I'm trying to recreate this intention, this motivation. <laughs> and I think maybe, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe there were some very naive motivations as well i assume there would be i think at 18 i was very sure. afraid of the world and it's probably some of that fear leads you to do often ironically i think the fear does lead you to do brave things like, and I'm like i don't know if i could do it anymore i don't know if i'd be I'd be capable of doing something like that yeah you know, right. It seems, right seems crazy and i think a, a lot of people say that about their whatever younger years and uh there are certainly way worse things to be to be doing when you're 18 than uh oh, true, going true, true, yeah. going to a laotian <laughs> monastery and that's yeah. pretty good you know um <clears throat> all right so let's jump back to to what you were saying before about like so you got there you did you know i love that you're drinking out of a teacup like that man that is <laughs> that is australia right there good sir you're like royalty down there <laughs> um <Got> my cobra <laughs> so like you're there you're doing it you're meditating and so so what you what you said i believe is like <clears throat> um there is a, this time to kind of like hyper focus on all of these things that maybe your, your past experiences or things you don't like about yourself or or things like that and that because there's a, you know, like, a, I think like a Zen koan is kind of to get past the duality of feeling good or bad or whatever. You just kind of like are, like you were saying yeah. about, you know, the end of Candide, like just do your little thing in your area. Um, yeah. Did that bring a sense 
you 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 made it seem like that was almost disappointing to you um or or did was that not necessarily the experience you thought you'd have but ultimately it was a good one yeah i mean so i guess it's not that it's disappointing to me it's more that yeah if you go in with certain like you're expecting i guess you expect for meditation some sort of maybe deeper truth to be revealed like an, i mean it sounds naive saying it but i think it's just true I a think lot of people, people even yeah definitely people think that and then it's less like you've found something it's more like you've just valued something that was already there and you've just gotten rid of or you've dealt with you've just polished the stuff you've already had and that is an anticlimax i think it necessarily is an anticlimax but being comfortable and familiar and excited by anticlimaxes is sort of the feeling that you get to like i mean it was also i remember coming out of like the burmese one and it's just like unable to have a conversation because you're just so calm and it's just like being there's a little and you realize there's a little bit of social anxiety that is necessary for good conversation <laughs> that, that slight jumping over each other that slight you know thinking of your own thing to say because if you're just there really listening and really actually um fulfilled by someone else talking like i remember just standing there making eye contact nodding and someone had finished their sentence three seconds ago and they were just looking at me like what the fuck <laughs> Say something. It's your turn yeah. to say something. Yeah, it's your <laughs> turn. This is the game, man. <laughs> well, I think it. like, uh, you know, I think about this sometimes where, you know, if we are to live in this sort of eternal present, and if you try, if you try and eliminate, talk, if you don't talk about the past or don't talk about the future, then what is there left to talk about? Because so much of conversation is, well, this one time I did the blah, blah. Actually, next week I was planning on to, so I have a show next Friday. So we're going to, oh, my, my buddy, all right. So I was, I had lunch earlier today and it's just all conversation is past, future, past, future, past, future. That if we are to not be particularly concerned with those things and live again in this eternal present, there's m at least much less to talk about. <laughs> Yeah, I guess there's much less to talk about, but there's also the thing to talk about. You know, you know what to talk about. You would never not know what, like if you wanted to talk, you would simply just state what you're, communicate what is exactly going on. So you would never wouldn't know what to talk about if you did that. You know? Yeah, that's a good point. So in, in that sense, there's a certain comfort in that. Because with that anxiety is like, what do I say? And then you like start talking about things you maybe don't care about or aren't concerned as much with just because you want to <laughs> fill the air or something. Yeah, yeah, I think that. Um, but yeah, I think, um, so yeah, in terms of the, the calmness that came after, I think you, relating that to the bigger questions of, you know, what is like suffering in life? How do you... How do you place your pain in a larger like cosmic sense what is the individual i think i was very obsessed with like individuality and like personal experience before it's like difficult i mean it just i think if anything it didn't make me so much like spiritual as it just made me grow up sort of in in ways it's like uh maybe like yeah i don't know i just felt more mature coming out out of it definitely i think i used to consider myself like less emotional and it made me realize, you know, I'm just like a very emotional, just 
choose not to express it. So yeah. Um, so I guess it was like a bait and switch. I somehow had tricked myself into doing some sort of therapy <laughs> 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 by by seducing myself with the promise of this grand Bildungsroman spiritual journey. <laughs> right. Well, that's that's the thing too. Is like uh, that's kind of an Alan Watts thing that you know it's we're we're always racing to a point um, when in fact. You know, you're not supposed to become a Buddhist. You're supposed to just realize that you are a Buddha. Um, but there is like a certain, because that's that's the thing too, I guess, about being getting enlightened, is that you have to, as far as I understand it, be not just willing to give up your suffering or whatever, uh, and give up your pains, but also all the pleasure as well, and not necessarily like give up the experience of experiencing those things, but give up your attachment to those things and, and defining yourself and saying the greatest trip I ever went on was when we did blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. um, that it'd be so easy if in order to get enlightened, you're like, I'm just not going to feel bad about anything anymore. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I yeah. think actually being quote unquote enlightened is giving up the attachment to the badness and the goodness, the pleasure and the pain, the happiness and the sorrow and living in a sort of contented state, which maybe is what you were touching at there? Well, the thing is, I think a lot of the pain comes from the attachment to the pleasure, right? So Definitely. Um, I, that, that's what I guess they would think, especially it's like, yeah, but it's because of your attachment to the people that you love that you feel suffering when they're hurt. And, and you know, that sort of thing. Even, And I mean, that's a lot of, like, some some constitutions of, like, karma are simply that the fact that you care about things and so the next step is that that will come back to affect you so even like the buddha was reportedly like very extremely upset when his country was like pillaged by war and is like and he's like said something like that's my karma you know the attachment to my home country and the passions for that causes this suffering um so yeah i think it's like it is and i think like that's where i kind of drifted away from more like at least my very narrow conception because obviously if you're not like culturally surrounded by it there's a lot of the details you miss i think um you know yeah like I, i'm not i don't have any other cultural affiliation to the symbolism and maybe the myths and even the ceremonial attachment to it which i think is really important actually um but like just to the larger issues of it i kind of fell away from it because i do this what is so bad about pain and attachment and shittiness and toxicity in a very micro sense isn't that not on an individual level even but isn't that like isn't there something about like human drama and like the poetry of it all and just like the interesting like i do care about it you know i it's why like detachment from pain maybe like why you know why why stop feeling pain like why what like i don't get the necessary executive or i don't get the executive decision to if if it doesn't if it's insignificant then why then leave it alone you know Let, let's just be in pain Let's just feel this way. Um, 
yeah, so I think that kind of, I, I started to be interested in my own pain. I think a couple of years after I did that, I was like, no, there's something revealing about it. And I, I don't actually, I wouldn't give up the, the sense of calmness and awareness and sense of resolve and acceptance with the world for, you know, the mini tragedies of everyday life. I kind of like that. I kind of like, I kind of like it when, you know, I get unnecessarily angry at someone over a, like the using the wrong phrase and I have to resolve that and I have to think about that. And there's a little play someone, there's a little, there's something interesting happening because I don't know. I'm, I don't, I don't think I'm better than that. I don't think I'm better than human conflict and human drama is all I'm saying. Well, <laughs> good. Yeah. that is a very well framed and yeah, you know, just to a certain extent, that is the experience of being a human on planet Earth. It might also be the experience of being absolutely anything on planet Earth, whether you're, a, you know, a tiger or a, a leaf, you might experience pleasure and pain just the same way, which is kind of, a, a, in certain ways, a maddening thought. But um, and I don't know, like, uh, but but it's also true, like, um, you ever you ever listen to uh, Chogim Trumper Rinpoche? I think I wrote cutting through spiritual materialism. Yeah, I've, I've, not for a while, but yeah, yeah, that name definitely rings a bell. Yeah. So he has um, a quote that's like, "Fear has a certain panicky, blind quality, but if you're able to sort of give up the notion of trying to attain something, then fear there's deep wisdom in fear." And um, you know, like Joseph Campbell, the cave you're afraid of going in is where the treasure you seek lies. That because this is the way that the world works, those difficulties and those sufferings are often, I think, trying to show you something. So you actually couldn't get to a better place or let's say not better, but further along your path or just moving forward in life without having um these yeah. kind of crunchy suffering moments the, what the example i always think of is like if you try and protect yourself and coddle yourself completely from suffering um that's how you wind up being like on a sweet 16 show on mtv when like the rich kid has been so coddled his whole life and they're freaking out because their dad got them a range rover and they wanted a cadillac so they're like yeah. you ruined my yeah. life it's like oh yeah. that suffering is gonna get you one way or the other and so you can fight it and push it off and ignore it and say or whatever, but you have to go through it. And so yeah. like, uh, yeah, maybe kind of what you're saying is like, uh, because it will be there, it's going to be there. Um, yeah. It, if you give into it a little bit and experience it, not as like the, everything is the end of the world, but rather um, as just an aspect of a process um then you can almost enjoy it a little bit yeah i see that i think um or at least the self-awareness or the uh, appreciate maybe more than a joy you know because, yeah right right cool. well said. yeah so i'm thinking with the the first of all with the like you know feeling upset about what car you got if there was a little bit of reflection there just a tiny bit <laughs> and you realize how ridiculous that is at least, you know, if, uh, you know, as like people who do comedy, we can kind of understand that turns it from a frustration to like an enjoyment. 
right? It does do that because I think, you know, there's moments where I'm getting angry. Like I compared my, my washing machine blowing up the other day to World War II. I just did it organically. <laughs> I was on the phone to someone and they were like, well, at least you're going to learn from that. And I'm like, did we, did we learn from invading Poland? I don't know. And that just came out of me. And then suddenly I realized how ridiculous and how silly and dramatic I am. And I was like, that's awesome. That's such a nice moment because that actually happened. I surprised myself, right? I'm ridiculous. That's so good. Thank God. You know, thank God I'm ridiculous. It gives me so much to play with. Uh, I wouldn't want to be the sort of person who doesn't compare minor mishaps in the kitchen to. Neither would I. <laughs> yeah. This is my D-Day. This is it. Yeah, this is my <laughs> Exactly. So if you're given that little gift of just like yourself almost sitting there, being like, hey, Alex, uh, just roll it back. What did you just say? And you're like, oh, yeah, I'm okay. And I mean that, you know, if you don't have that, it's almost worthy of, well, not pity in a bad sense, but like pity in a like, oh, that sucks. You know, you can't it's you don't get to see. Yeah, you don't get to see how ridiculous you are. That You're missing out. We're all because, yeah. I, but I think the second thing I want to push back a little bit on is, I'm a little, I, I do get a little bit concerned about, I guess, what I was talking about, enjoying the particular and how that can be erased by larger narratives. So if we, like, I think, uh, I guess there's two examples. The first one is you mentioned Joseph Campbell, who, I mean, he looked at a very specific, like, sort of, indian bound myth that he saw in many different ways like many different myths there and cre created a structure that represented that right and then because of his populism and his sort of 80s politics a la like sort of jordan peterson right we now that be it became very extreme where people started to self-identify as different characters largely like see themselves as having heroes journeys in different ways mm. but it there are like it's not even that particularly universal of a myth structure. Like it's just very bound to that area. Those myths are very popular, um, and you know have definitely become like a lot of those. Like we're very aware of now. But now I think as a result of him describing those myths and saying that this structure is has some sort of deep, innate, essential quality to it. For example, you can't really make a movie in Hollywood without referring to some sort of hero's journey. You know, it's it's reduced our ability to create and to enjoy things that, that divert from it. And I think there is, and I think in the same way, like bounding things to the individual and uh, sort of reduced field of pain and suffering, there is, there is trickery there. I remember even like um, hearing about Zen Buddhist monks who talked, who justified um, like sort of atrocities by talking about how, like, by bounding it to a lack of human will, how when you erode the self, it's simply the knife traveling into another body. And that is, you know, if you tr truly do that in a selfless way, it does not affect, um, it does not affect your ability to be like you know to your buddhist journey essentially mm. and so i guess like what i'm pushing towards is that there it's not just that the suffering can be identified with a bit of like awareness or a bit of um okay this is larger than me and thus there can be some attention to it and maybe appreciation of it 
it's also that there's something so specific in that suffering that is actual life. You're actually living. This is part of your life. You are suffering because you care about your sister who is your sister. And no one else will ever care about her in the way that you do, that particular way. And so when she broke your plate that your grandmother like passed down to you, that your grandmother passed down to you, this particular plate, you, it made you upset in a very unique way. Mm. And that's, that suffering is necessarily different from other suffering. And you can remove all the detail from it. And you can be like, it's just a plate. It's just, my, you know, it's just my sister. It's just love. It's just this relationship. But all of those details are, that's life. So what you're left with is a rejection of life to hyper-focus on the internal phenomena of it all. And I'm not sure if I want to give up my life to understand how I feel about it, mm. if that makes sense. It does make a lot of sense, man. I, I think it's a, a really great point about we need to be very careful about these kind of grand narratives I remember one time I was, I think I was in like high school and I, I started to read a, a, a Malcolm Gladwell book, uh, yeah, like yeah, outliers yeah. or whatever. And, you know, he's like, he's, he's like, you know, there's three kinds of people. So there's like a maven and a, and I remember I can give myself a lot of credit for being in high school. And I was like, this is bullshit. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I yeah. It, it would have got me, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but any type of, but you're taking down Joseph Campbell. That's, that's very strong. And I think a very important point that, one of the things that's so kind of maddening about life generally, but also like a, a, a walking along a spiritual path of some sort, is that there isn't any actual rule book could, that could possibly be written to tell you what to do all the time. There yeah. are certain commonalities in certain instances, and I think some are more useful than others, but... There's never ever going to be a list that says on Tuesday, when you get upset about this thing, here's what you should do. And so what we, and that, that is, I guess, the eternal present of each individual consciousness as well, our viewpoint or however you want to say it, yeah. that that's what's so fucking difficult about this, <laughs> this yeah. uh, uh, like uh, a spiritual life or just, again, existence in general is that everything is so insanely per we don't see things the way they are we see things the way we are yeah. so yeah all karma i i just read that uh like the game of karma is like it's just a game of seeds that you you can't actually hide and you can't hide anything from the universe or whatever if you have that thought or that feeling or whatever it's a seed that will reap something be it positive or negative or what have you and yeah that is uh again we can we can help each other along this path in, in certain ways and there are certain commonalities and for the most part you shouldn't ki uh, kill people i think that's a pretty that's a pretty good one yeah. but um that's one of the things that i think is is quite frustrating and 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 uh you know i'm hopeful i guess in some ways about a more like spiritually awakened future but I don't have absolutely no idea what that would necessarily look like because um, 
again, it's not, it's not going to be like somebody's going to write a book and everybody reads it and it makes the world, like sets the world on fire. I'm looking forward to reading your book about yeah. this. But... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Was that in yeah. line with what you were saying or did I, did I take it into no, no, a different no. area? I, I think that, yeah, that's definitely in line. I think um, it's definitely like overlaps there. I, I love, you just, distracted me or with the the metaphor of like the seed planting and it just makes me i like it's just so interesting how you know um i love those sort of metaphors because at one point they probably weren't metaphors right it's probably like someone was being somewhat literal and then it was just told down and told down and to the point where people are no longer planting seeds like and the concept of like like so it's literally like where you know the seeds are planted where they are and then the you know the crops will rise from it and like if you place them wrong that's just how they where they're placed or something like that i don't know exactly i'm not an agricultural guy Uh, (laughs) again we're not planting seeds is your point (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 so it's just like they are they pop up where they may right and it's at a certain point that's probably just a literal truth that then now we're no longer like this okay so this is another thing i want to put when you're a bit away from i wanted to like maybe ask you a bit about this like i touched on it earlier talking about how i'm not like culturally buddhist i don't have any other affiliation to the to the ceremonies and the and the family and you know symbolism of it uh which i think actually could be really important i think sometimes doing things and, you know, obviously the trope of the 2000s, 2010s is like, I'm not religious, but I am spiritual. Yeah. But a lot of those things of religion, I think, are so vital to the understanding of it. Because it's not, it becomes less about you and becomes more about your community. And it becomes less about you and more about the symbol. Like, uh, I remember going to like a synagogue and they were talking about how, you know, how important the schedules of like, um, prayer are and the schedules of uh, like um of like um uh what is it when they i've just blanked what's i mean christians do it on sunday jewish people do it friday night saturday what's that called again um the uh uh it could be a couple of things like i think uh, it's like rest day of rest yes right right yeah the sabbath it's like yeah, the Sabbath. Yeah, 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 things like that. Um, like how it's infrastructure in time. Like you yeah. know, you build an actual building, and that's an infrastructure in place in your community. This is a building where we congregate, and then that's an infrastructure in time. And if you look at like iconoclasm, like disrupting people's schedules as well as blowing up monuments is always a part of like overtaking a culture. Yeah, so I don't know. I, which I would like to get like a bit of your reaction to the importance of those like cultural and you know aspects of religion that may be a loss to spirituality. Um, yeah, that, that's a good point too, because that's kind of a counterpoint to to what I was saying too. That like it is hyper individual, and yet through culture and morals and certainly to a lesser extent, like laws and and justice, legal systems or whatever, Mm. they do present a sort of like framework. Now, I suppose an important distinction is like 
whether the 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 sort of moral framework is coming from the top down or from the bottom up like is it a thing that people actually believe in or is it a thing they're being coerced into um <clears throat> like yeah. but there is there is something to be said for believing this makes me think of uh when i was talking to maxim a mutual friend of ours and uh he said he grew up going to catholic church and then his mom kind of like fell out of it and she started going to like a universalist kind of church where the, and, and he went for one time and they were like, it's a church where they're like singing and dancing and there's a band and stuff. And he was like upset because he was like, this is, this is not what church is. This is bullshit. <laughs> yeah. And I was, I made the point like, oh, well, um, you know, I think maybe church like should be like kind of fun and whatnot. Um, yeah. But then uh, my girlfriend mentioned to me after after that that who and she was you know raised catholic um you know and, and we were that like the the that service of the eucharist and whatnot like that actually is quite ecstatic uh you are under the impression you're uh, consuming christ which is a pretty big deal um and having those cultural yeah. things um does kind of like it's one of those things where like if if all the options are on the table, you don't know what to pick. Like sometimes it's nice to have some kind of guidance there. It's yeah. like I, I'd say too, like uh Michael Jordan wasn't the best basketball player because he invented a bunch of new rules in basketball. Like within the framework of the game of basketball, he played within it uh better than anyone. So you could say something like the Ten Commandments or something is a yeah. kind of framework within which to live your life. And um, yeah, you know, I don't know, like garner some kind of meaning from that. I think um, what about, okay, what about this? Someone who doesn't read necessarily the Bible nor intellectualize it or reflect on it that much, but goes to church every week has does charity through the church and feels a strong connection to the community and so isn't necessarily that yeah i guess is it's would consider themselves very religious and i think this applies to a lot of people um consider themselves very religious but doesn't really but it's from a almost yeah non-intellectual level it's just they feel an affiliation with the community that gives them a sense of identity and calmness and when they do something good intuitively good they think that's a christian thing to do and when they do something intuitively bad they think that's a not a very christian thing to do i think this is a vast like i that because that's my experience of like most buddhists like when i go overseas that's the same sort of thing there are, now the differences in the community the differences in the symbolism the differences in the way in which you uh worship do matter I don't, I don't like the idea of collapsing like all religions are the same because i actually do think the particulars of what make them different like um and um also there's been you know the, think about how many people have died you mentioned like the eucharist how many people have died in history because someone thought it was the literal body of christ and someone else thought it wasn't you know yeah. like, like people <laughs> lots and lots of people died in in battle because of that like, <laughs> Um, it was a it was a veritable washing machine breaking situation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah washgate. Sort of yeah, or died because 
three in one, Christ, like the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. No, those are three in one. No, those are three and one. <laughs> it's right. Like so many people died because of that distinction as well. Like, yeah. And so these, I guess these like distinctions do matter. But I guess that's slightly against my point. My point was like, how do you react and reflect on someone who, it's not the Ten Commandments that like they hear about it when they go to church and they might repeat it, but their re repetition of it is simply, you know, just like a go the Raiders sort of thing. You know, <laughs> it, really it's a community involvement in something. It's like, yeah, it's almost like a little bit for a moment you, it's bigger than you. And it's not bigger than you in the sense of God or spirit or the spirit or the lack of ego. It's bigger than you and just in terms of I'm part of a community and that's what matters. Um, cause I'm not sure I get worried that if you ignore the cultural things about your life and how you're brought up in these sort of symbols, it's not that you should be coerced into them. I completely agree with that point, but if you ignore your roots, even if your roots are boring and annoying to you, that you're simply going to, you, you withdraw, like if you ignore your community, the next community is like capitalist globalism like individualist right <laughs> monster you know i don't know that was a lot but i would like to hear it's it, <laughs> yeah it, it's another like um very multifaceted question it, it makes me think of um a couple ramdas things um you know he said like in the 60s and 70s very popular and he did this himself and he in some ways encouraged other people to, to like you know you go to india and you find yourself but then, and maybe you experienced some of this kind of thing too, where, you know, all these hippies left their families and they went into India and they were going to solve all their problems. And then they got to India and realized they were just as miserable in India as they were in Illinois. Um, yeah. And uh, I guess later in his life, I don't know, this is maybe dicey, but uh, Ramdas like spoke to a, um, a sort of like entity, like a non-physical mm -hmm. entity. Um and one of the things he heard from this uh, uh, consciousness was, you know, Ramdas, your existence is a curriculum. Uh, you're, you're in a school. Why don't you try taking the curriculum? And uh, it makes me think, too, of um, in Marcus Aurelius' meditations, he defines a fugitive as a person who evades the responsibilities of their life. So like, you know, mm. the, the, the image of a fugitive is a person who's on the run and the spotlights are all behind him. But it's like, by his definition, it's like, yeah, call your mom. That's, you're being yeah, a fugitive yeah, if, you, yeah. if you don't do that. And that really, I think that's the way to get to this contented place is not really actually to change um anything outside of yourself but inside of yourself maybe that's a, a trite point but like um what we have to do or what we are i think supposed to do to live a lighter life and live a meaningful life live a life full of service is harmonize with the things that we are presented with and so it's dicey to think like i need to change i need to be a completely different mm. person because that doesn't really work like that. Uh, George Gurdjieff, too, is like, you know, if you discover something you don't like about yourself, you're not really going to be able to change it. 
But the first thing you should do is begin to study your own mental patterns and study yourself. And the vast majority of your work will just be studying yourself so that maybe you could get to a point where you can make a little change about it. And that it's so tempting, especially in a materially obsessed um, modern world where we're like, no, I'll just buy a car and then I'll fix all my problems or I'll get a pair of Nikes, whatever. Um, But like, Actually, and I think your your point is very valid. I think I guess is 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 my point is what we need to do is live our lives in the circumstances we are in, and it's not to say that we won't be frustrated by them or upset by them at times, but um, constantly pushing away the responsibilities. I'm using responsibilities in a very in a broad way. Yeah. Uh, the responsibilities of your life, whether the things that you're interested in, or again, like, you know, being nice to, to your family or what have you. And there are exceptions to all these things or whatever, but generally speaking, yeah. I think yeah. that is really uh, a, a lot of the, the work of life, or maybe like at the very least, again, like a way to live a little bit lighter and a way to feel actually fulfilled as opposed to. Um, again, that fleeting materialistic kind of uh, capitalist horseshit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, also, are you these quotes? Are you remembering these? Uh, I, I, yeah, yes. They're not That's also incredible. not all of them are exact. But, yeah, I know, but I don't know. You're just able to like pin. I don't know. That's like, yeah, you got an incredible brain for this sort of stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, don't you flatter me, good sir. <laughs> um, yeah, because I was trying to think. Hmm. Like uh, when you said that, it just triggered me. What? What could I? And I was just like, oh yeah, I ironically read Julius Evola, but that's probably not the guy to be bringing up a <laughs> fascist, the dark fascist. But I mean, it's interesting. There- there's it's wisdom. scary how much overlaps with a lot of other thought until sure. the final point, which is, <laughs> you know, uh, he's like, he's so into yoga and very critical of like capitalism, but then he's also like, oh yeah, w- white people are the, um, the essential primordial, like top of the hierarchical of all, ex- hierarchy of all existence. You're like, like oh, you hey, had me up until that. Yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? That last step <laughs> seemed to be a giant, yeah. But um, yeah, living the responsibility to live the life as it's given to you. That's I don't know. I think that's a lot, isn't it? It's like you're so we feel. I mean, it's also yeah. I've been thinking. Yeah, I don't know. I think there is. I think that is a battle. I think that is such a battle because we feel you're enticed into giving up a lot of what could be important for the promise that you are so special, you know, like that's what like, I guess consumerism does. It's like, you're so special. Look at all these special things you're going to have. And so give up this, you know, you should give up like, like we're talking about the grandmother's plate or calling your mom or like having, taking a break from work to, sit and have like an important lunch or conversation with someone you haven't spoken in a while because look that'll that'll come back around that's stable what isn't stable is your ability to buy a ps5 by working harder 
by like doing this sort of thing. And I think it sounds cliche, but I think it sounds cliche because we've already drunk the Kool-Aid in a lot of way, right? We've already, we're already so, we already take that so for granted that there is like, even with the pursuit of the like arts or something like that, there is like an, uh, an inherent thing there where like even doing comedy is, is like such a capitalist consumerist pursuit at this point. You know, you are, and for you're entertaining largely middle class and upper class people once you once it's like financially profitable that's who you're entertaining you know yeah. i think in in the in the early stages you go into like pretty rough bars and that sort of thing and you access a lot more diverse people but by the time you've made it it's because richer people like you on mass you become and so what's the difference between you and a nintendo switch at that point <laughs> Damn. Like, great point <laughs> um, so it's like the responsibility there to i mean i think that comes down to like going into things blind a bit more you know that bravery i love like that's why i just like i don't know i i'm not exactly it feels in my heart related but i'm not exactly intellectually sure of how it's related but i just love like Werner herzog in any situation just talking like going out barely being able to make a documentary in any conventional way. Like no one, like it just, it doesn't, he, it's essentially his own genre of documentary because people are like, what is that? You seem to just be telling people what, like what your life story is and then getting them to react. But like he just always, you know, he stole a camera to make his first movie and just, it's about just, if you want to do something, like yeah all the excuses in the world to not do it but it's like it's just literally sometimes it's just bravery just you can do it and it's like if you don't feel the bravery if you don't feel like you have the guts in that moment that's fine you know that's so that's what's expected but then on the other side you know like that these are like deep things like these are like callings that you might have like if you want to make a movie you can make a movie but you're so bound by proving yourself you know by going through getting subsumed into this story of like i need to go to film school i need to do this i need to do this or even in other life and that will put off all the small things like like you're getting rid like yeah why not call your mom and then go steal a camera rather than you know <laughs> going to film school like just <laughs> do i think there's another thing like cuz I, I what i was trying to push back against there is the idea that you know the very Marcus Aurelius, my life is very hard and it's very good. You know, <laughs> like, it's more sometimes it, it's the other way. It's that the responsibility of your life is to do something crazy and immediate and fun and now. And you, by bullying yourself, are rejecting that. Just fucking go for it, you know? Like, mm -hmm. and you are brave enough. It's just you're in your head, you're in this hierarchy of like, Hmm, I have to, to do something like this. And this is, and by you, I mean me. <laughs> no, I'm think, I don't know, but is that anything? Let's. <laughs> yes. Yeah, definitely, man. Because there's something to be said for pushing back against like the ascetic lifestyle, the stoic mindset of like, because then you can just get obsessed with your own suffering. And you're like, the more I suffer, the more right it is. And then that's not really great either. And I want to then ask you, um, because 
uh, yeah, we're, we're, I guess, touching on this again, like living in the eternal present. And I'm not a person, <clears throat> and maybe I've just tricked myself into this, but <laughs> because I would go crazy otherwise, but I don't really have like a ton of regret. And I don't nice. even necessarily, <laughs> I don't even necessarily. And now I've taken of it. Do I wish that uh, I had just moved to New York City when I was 18 and like started doing comedy and I would have been on shows by the time I was 22 and I wouldn't have had gone through all this other bullshit that I went through? I mean, yeah, I guess. But I'm also cognizant of the fact that like they could not have occurred any other way than it did. Um, yeah. That's another Gurdjieff thing that's comforting to me is like, you know, if one thing could be different, absolutely everything could be different. So if you would have taken that job as opposed to this job, you could also be a goat. So um, yeah. people are constantly under the impression that things aren't going the way they should, when in fact they're unfolding the only way they possibly could. Um, yeah. So yeah. do you how how do you feel about like regret, mistakes? Are you a person that's bothered by that? How do you think about that like conceptually? Um, because what made me think of this was, you know, that moment where sometimes you just have do this impulsive, crazy thing. And again, by the stoic, uh, ascetic lifestyle, that might be incorrect. However, it was what you wanted to do or felt you needed to do at that time. Um, and mm. that in and of itself kind of makes it correct in the sense that it was a strong feeling inside. You fucking did it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, I think, uh, so like, first of all, I really like the, you know, moving to New York when you're 18, would you like, that sounds so daunting to me, you know, like not because of the comedy, because can you like, you know, it's like, it's so rough, um, in terms be, of like, I'd be dead yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah. Right. And it's like, people can do it, but they're not you. It's like this comparison sort of thing. And it's mm -hmm. also then getting on shows yeah, it's not just that, oh, it's like that you've taken your journey in comedy and you've distilled it to this is my, this is how much time I've been doing and this is where I'm at now. But all, there's all sorts of like little gems of jokes and little awarenesses and how you relate to the art that is so, it's not that let's say maybe you would have been a better comedian or maybe you would have had an easier run, but you wouldn't have had, you, you would be a different comedian. And so it's kind of undervaluing like, you know, what, like all the little things that have gone into like where your art is at the moment and it's just like appreciating. Yeah. It, I think, you know, it's, it, you gotta, we gotta avoid, it's so difficult in comedy because it's like on the one surface is a strong community, but it's also hyper competitive. So you're always getting gaslit by those two like, aspects. You're like, oh yeah, we were friends or maybe we, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't yes. know what's, but um yeah i i mean to try and maintain the sense i love like the positive delusion of it i love what helps me with the comedy sometimes especially when i'm doing bad is just to think i have something really important to say and i think that's delusional but that's okay that's it's okay to be a bit delusional about it i think that's good mm -hmm. you know as long as i can have the you know washing machine moments where i'm like okay okay, Steve Martin, <laughs> like, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> but um, that kind of relates to what I was going to say in terms of regret, um, which is, I think, highlighted 
by Washgate is my constant meeting of myself. Like I am a stranger to myself in so many ways. And so as you know, I don't know me and I'm just meeting me. I'm just getting to know me. Like, do I feel regret? Probably, you know, I probably feel all sorts of regrets and I, you know, sometimes I'm going to surprise myself with even negative. I'm going to have bitter thoughts and I'm going to have to be like, wow, I didn't know you would have that. Do I feel like those regrets are grounded in anything valuable? Probably not. I don't value any regrets I have, but, you know, I don't, like, I'm not as, I think when I was younger, I had more of a sense of that. I love the American, like, novels and the American poetry, like, beat poetry, everything the CIA <laughs> funded i loved <laughs> not a conspiracy look it up there's there's a <laughs> lot of um yeah they put a lot of work into it you know they really they really put a lot of money and, and thought behind yeah. it so some of that stuff's good yeah but um I, I was obsessed with um you know these american individualist identity like this is who i am this is the sort of person i am so i think i had those strong influences of thinking you know i'm non-emotional kind of like provocateur type of guy and then i'm just like now I'm just like, I don't know, like, I don't know, like, I know what I'm going to, I, oh, okay, there's this poem that I love, and it's just two letters, and it's an L, and then a Y through it, and it's, I really like that, because it, what an L-Y is, is it's usually at the end of adverbs, right, and adverbs are, like, great, because then, I think we underutilize adverbs in a way because we're so interested in describing objects but not describing actions. And so it's not that maybe, you know, uh, it's not that I'm joyful. It's that often I do things joyfully. Mm. It's not that I'm, you know, you know, uh, jealous. It's just that I'm behaving jealously. And I think mm. that's kind of like how I think about it. So it's like... I'm sure there's moment I, I don't value my own regret is the is the short answer to the question. I but I, I'm a fucking stranger. <laughs> I don't know me. I don't know me. Don't ask me to know me. That guy, never heard of him. <laughs> he seems all right, I guess, you know. Sometimes yeah. he gets upset. Um, Alex, this has been so cool, man. And I feel like um we really actually uh we tuned up um halfway through this thing i feel like uh this was a, a really good conversation i gotta ask you one more thing before we get out of here are you tied on sure. time or anything no no okay um the, just my last question is like uh is there a moment or and maybe you've already answered this uh and in, in, in some ways you certainly have but is there a moment or some moments in your life that have occurred um, that you would consider uh, very spiritual or very religious um, or even uh, just a kind of a coincidental synchronous um, because I feel like even the most ardent atheists, which of course you are not, have to admit, well, there was this one time where like, I've always liked the number nine for some reason. And then I, I was just like looking at this thing. Um, and when, and it doesn't have to be a, an enormous moment in your life. Um, although it could be, um, and you know, again, I feel like people who even are very, I'm a science person 
hmm. have uh, had this moment. Well, there was this one thing, like, I can't explain what the hell happened. Um, is there a, a something that jumps to your mind um, when I ask you that? Yeah, I mean, there's a few things. Um, so obviously, I think we've talked about the, like, just sitting there in Laos and then, like, those emotions overcoming you. I think that's just the first time something like that really surprised me. Um, so, yeah, I think definitely that was an earlier experience. I wonder if there's anything even before that. I guess in Turkey, I was once in, like, Turkey and, the like, sun was setting and it was like we were at the docks and i was with my dad and my brother and it was just like at the docks and someone said it was just a beautiful landscape and then my brother just was like all right let's go in into like into the water and i like i said i was just like a really afraid kid but there was just something about the way he said it that we just jumped into like you know the ocean which was really rough and it seemed very unsafe and i was like i don't know there's something it's almost moments of uh outside of yourself bravery or something like that that seem important to me of course um i think as well and there's been darker moments as well like so he passed away and just getting to and I've, and then he one of his kids was very sick as well after he passed away like very sick and so you it made me realize how like what I was holding on to when that happened was that there had to be darker places. And so going like, you know, going spelunking or caving, you know, in your own soul or something like that is, is interesting because you have to hold on to the point that maybe hopefully you're not at the bottom yet and that there's room if you need to, to get worse and, and so that you can get better. And I think that was the sort of thing because also you start to, in the world, you have to. There's a certain point where you have to reject the the pathologizing of your experience. And there's no, I'm not trying to be like too hippie there. I understand that like conversation about mental health is really important, but it's good at identifying. It doesn't necessarily give you a set of tools to help you get out of anything. Um, and over pathologizing can feel a lot like bullying yourself. If every you know, so if everything you do is some sort of, especially if you feel as though your suffering is something that's materially bounded to the world and it's something that's you know because of your environment so i think going into that darkness and seeing your attachments you know that we talked about those attachments to things you love and how that causes your your pain it's almost like when those attachments don't even matter anymore that is an interesting counterpoint to that where it's just like it's simply a direct obnoxious obtuse pain of the world and how humbling that is and i think the spirituality of that um those moments comes in by how yeah just how much you can lose yourself how dark you can go into it and i think there was like a two-week period where i was pretty low where i just um like very low i'd say where i had uh you know it's like the whole the classic can't get out of bed type stuff and that sort of thing but you know, I just, I had a sort of life set up and then it's in that period where I was just like, this, these decisions don't matter so much and I can do a lot. And then I was just like, I want to do comedy type stuff, I think, in that moment. And it's just like, not because it mattered, not because I had ambitions, 
but because that was what was left. That was what was like left down there. I needed those moments where I was like, so like, you know, so depressed, you can't get out of bed or so afflicted by the world, whatever you want to call it, that you're just letting relationships that are really important to you fail. And you need that moment there to have that same sense of, I can't choose, you know, I'm upset because my dad bought me the wrong car. You need to be like, I'm so fucking upset right now. This is, there's something very funny in this. There's something very joyful in how desperate <laughs> you can be. And I almost like, I conceptualized it as, imagine you've been like, your body is full of like holes and wounds and you've been shut up or whatever and like you're decrepit. And then you just start doing ballet moves. You do like a pirouette. That is inherently funny. There's something so funny about being incredibly wounded and then doing dance, some sort of dance as if you're not wounded at all, like some sort of showing off. And I think that for me, it felt like a very spiritually aligning combination of humbling and inspiring moment where it was that thing that we were talking about, just the responsibility to do what your life is going to be. And if that's what's left, that's you know what I wanted to do. So... Yeah, I think there's a few moments in there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, thank you for sharing that, man. And um, yeah, that the first person to uh, answer that question, actually, no, there was uh, my friend Harrison um, to uh, was uh, uh, is like a mental health counselor now. He had a, a, a kind of like a very low moment where that was very kind of polarizing in his life, and. Um, that, that's such a great point is, is comedy is so often about uh, just two very, conf it's always, it's all surprise. So it's very, two very conflicting feeling tones. Like if you feel yeah. very heavily this one way and then all of a sudden this other thing happens. So being riddled with bullet holes and yet still performing a ballet is inherent. Uh, people, cavemen would laugh at that. <laughs> yeah. As old a joke as there could possibly yeah. be. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, that was that was a, a, a very touching answer, man. Um, thank you for sharing that. Oh, um, and like I said, uh, yeah, th this uh, I'm gonna have to have you back, of course, Alex, because um, yeah, I still have so many questions. I feel like <laughs> yeah, uh, I have so many questions for you. I monopolized the conversation. No, I, I also no. I'm wary that I don't want you to like rehash. You know, that's there's always that in a in a podcast that you've probably gotten deep on so many different things. So. You know, I don't. I didn't want to force you to have to rehash things, but <laughs> no, maybe not in a personal conversation, there's a lot of questions I have for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can we can chat. Um, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, listen. Yeah, we can chat. We can chat after this. I'm gonna end the end the broadcast here. Thank you for listening to the Content Content Faithful. Mike and I will be back Sunday morning. Um, and of course, you know, Linktree uh, backslash Content Content. You can check us out on YouTube, Spotify, uh, podcasts, all that kind of fun stuff. My thank again, thanks to Alex Richards. Um, and I will.